Hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. You can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. After 2 Corinthians, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Someone once told me it's, you just remember General Electric Power Company, and that's how you get to the E, you know, so it's after Galatians. But again, uh, so us taking a little break from Matthew today, we're, we're having um, a couple things going on. We're looking at the state of the family today. Um, and the reason we're doing that, uh, you're going to notice next week, if you're a parent of a child in children's ministry, we're changing curriculum next week. Uh, we're switching to a curriculum called Answers in Genesis. And when you get into a lot of the reasons why uh, that is today, what we feel God has called us to. Um, so we're going to focus a little bit on that today. Uh, our children's ministry is called Jam. If you're new here, you've heard, or maybe if you're even, you've been here for a while, and you're like, I keep hearing Jam. I don't know what that means. Uh, it's Jesus and me. So the focus would be on our kids having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so, uh, again, we're going to talk about a little bit of, of why we're doing that. But we're going to look at really what the family is called to be by God. Okay, that's what we're going to look at today. And, and this study kind of started um, in my heart about three years ago. Uh, I was a youth pastor down in Santa Fe Springs, and I finally realized I just needed to quit youth ministry. Um, I, I went in, I sat with my pastor and I said, I, I'm done with this stuff. I can't stand it anymore. Um, and not because of the kids. I, I said, we need to take a holistic view of youth ministry and all student ministries that, um, we need to minister to our parents. I told my pastor, I remember sitting there and, and I was kind of in tears and I just said, I, I'm not going to do youth ministry anymore until we get the parents on board with youth ministry. And so I've been wanting to share with parents for a long time. And that's going to sound tough, but I promise I'm not trying to uh, be rude in any way. Um, I, I, it just comes from a heart of, of just being broken, I think, for so many of our young people. And, and so I remember sitting with Pastor Ray and saying, um, some of our parents are asking me to do things with their kids that they themselves aren't doing, and that's leading them to Jesus. And I said, so until that happens, I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he, and he stopped me, and he said, okay. He says, Daniel, uh, your grandpa, your dad's dad, how long did he walk with the Lord? And I said, well, you, you know, he goes, look, miracles still happen, man, and God's word can still penetrate a heart even if the parents aren't doing all that God has called them to do. He goes, it's the same with me. And he goes, there's a lot of first-generation Christians out there. And so you just keep teaching the youth. And so I continued to teach the youth, but, uh, but I still think that we as parents, and I lump myself in in this group now, uh, have a major responsibility before the Lord to teach our kids and to train them. Uh, our kids are up against it in a way they've never been in history. And I know every generation says that, but, uh, but every generation has progressively gotten worse, hasn't it? So, uh, so we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 6, 
on what God says about the family. We're going to look at kind of where we are as a society. We're going to look at where we want to be. And then we're going to even talk about just what we as a church are going to be doing going forward as it relates to this thing. And so turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 is what we're going to look at. Paul, after talking about all kinds of things, starts to dig into the family. So before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we pray now that as we study your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, we want to be honest with the text. We want to be honest with ourselves. We want your word to, to like a mirror, show us what's really there. And so, God, I pray that your word would do many things today. We pray that it would stir us up. We pray that it would encourage us. Lord, if there's those in here who are already defeated, Lord, we pray that, you're, that, that we wouldn't push more on that, but, but rather, Lord, we'd begin to build up today. And so, Lord, go before us now as we study your word. Give us your Holy Spirit. Give us insight and understanding, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, Paul, as he gets going, he, he's just talked about marriage in chapter 5. We didn't want to talk about that so much today because our emphasis is in parenting, but, but it, it is a natural carryover. It's a natural progression here that, that marriage does need to be done right, and so I would encourage you to study those verses at home as you would. But he start, then he, as he gets into family, he says, children, here's what you're called to do. You're called to be obedient to mom and dad, to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But then he's going to go a step further as he begins to talk about what it means to honor your parents, okay? Obedience is one thing, honor is another, right? Just like obedience is one thing, submission is another, right? To, to, to submit and to honor, it, it becomes a function of the heart, I don't know if any of you guys, when you were young, were told by your parents to go clean your room, right? I think every kid is told that at some point or another. Hey, go clean your room. And, and we could go and clean our room and we could be obedient to that without honoring the one who gave that directive, right? The same is true in our relationship with the Lord, that there's times it's like, man, I don't want to do this, but I'm good. I'll do it, but I don't want it. And so where obedience is rooted in fear, honor is rooted in love. And so he takes this up a notch and he, and he goes back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, when the Ten Commandments are given, that God speaking from Mount Sinai looks at his people and he says, here's what I'm commanding you. These are not suggestions, right? They're not just helps for your life. These are commands from God, and he says that the first four have to do with our relationship with God, don't they? Where he says, hey, don't have any other gods before me. Don't create any carved images and worship those. He says, uh, honor my name, right? Don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And he says, and keep the Sabbath day. 
four that pertain to our relationship with God. Then the next six relate to our relationship with our fellow man. And the first one of those, the first one, before he talks about not murdering, before he talks about not committing adultery, before he talks about coveting and stealing, he he talks about what? The family. The first commandment that God gives that relates with our relationship to others is the family. Why? Because the family is the building block of a society, right? It's the first place we learn anything, okay? We're born, we're not like many other animals where they could be born and then they're on their own like in a day. We're not that way. We, we, can, we, <laughs> we need about 18 years to do that. Right? You, you can't just leave a child all by himself and, and, and you know, he's just out of the womb. And you're like, all right, buddy, go ahead and try to figure it out. No, no, no. He, he starts with the family and he gives a promise with it. When, when God there at Mount Sinai tells the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 20, he says, honor your father and your mother. And it comes with a promise. Paul reiterates it here. He says it's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. He says that it would be well with you when you come into the land. Again, they're in the wilderness here, right? They've come out of slavery in Egypt. They're going to the promised land. He goes, but before you get there, I got to give you these rules because I don't want you to be like where you just came from. And I don't want you to be like the people where you're going. I'm going to give you rules now that are going to govern your lives, that it would be well in the land. What would that even mean? I I, I think it means this. and And I think the text agrees we learn the concept of authority within the family, don't we? You know, we learn that mom and dad are the authority and we have to do what they say. I've told, this, I've told this story many, many times, but I'll say it again. I remember there being a time we had trees at our house uh, that were a curse to me and I hated them. Uh, most people had a drip system for their trees uh, I was the drip system for our trees. And so I think at, at its largest point, there were 17 of them. And so my dad would say, hey, go out and water the trees. And one day I'm watering the trees and I'm going, you know, this is silly because I don't want these trees. I don't think we need these trees. He wants the trees. And, and just in my mind, and I might have been about 10, and I remember thinking, I, these aren't for me. I should just tell him, hey, if you want them, you water them, you know? And so many of you could probably see where this is going. But I remember, and I, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I just came in and I said, Dad, you know, I've been thinking, um, I don't want the trees. You want the trees. If you want the trees, why don't you water the trees? You know, and I can do something better with my life, you know? And I just remember him saying, I had a son so I wouldn't have to water trees. And he said, go water the trees. And, I, and so it was like, okay, you know. And, but the, the, and the only reason, listen, that that worked is because by 10 years old, I had, under, I had come to understand that when the authority tells you to do something, you have to fall in line with what the authority tells you to do. That's learned in the family. The school didn't teach me that. They, they, they took advantage of that I learned that. But some of you in here who are educators, you, you would say, man, I wish more parents would teach their kids that, right? Any educators in here today who work? In, yeah. And, and many of us would go, yeah, boy, I wish they learned a little more of that. It's the job of the family to teach it. 
He says that it would be well with you when you go into the land, that your days would be long in the land. Why? Because here's what begins to happen when the family breaks down. And tell me if I'm not wrong in 2016, that as the family breaks down, it doesn't matter what laws you make. It it doesn't matter who your leaders are. The Proverbs are clear. Righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. When the family breaks down, all of a sudden, these kids get into schools and because they never learn to respect and honor mom and dad, they don't respect and honor their teachers. They don't honor their teachers. They don't, they don't honor the other authority figures in the schools. They get a little older. They don't respect other authority. I was talking to somebody this morning that goes, man, it's hard to hire young people anymore. They, they just don't listen. They don't have the same amount of respect, right? He says that it would be long with you in the land. Uh, imagine an army that, that doesn't know respect, that doesn't know how to honor those in authority. Uh, uh, imagine a society that doesn't honor those just in authority within their city. It begins to fall apart. He says that it would be well with you in the land. But I really want to talk about this word honor. Again, it's rooted in love, not just fear. And, and we know this because, you know, we've, we've grown in this now, but you'll do things for love that you won't do for money. And there's things you'll do for love that you wouldn't even do for the sake of fear. And fear and money are both good motivators, right? Fear and money are good, but they're not the best motivators right? Isn't there a time that you say, no more overtime. I just, I won't. I don't care how much the money is. I just, I won't do it anymore. There's things for fear that you'll do, whether it's fear of losing a job, whether it's fear of whatever. And and there comes a point that you go, you know what? I don't care anymore. Fire me, (laughs) you know, get rid of me, but I, I can't anymore. But man, love is the ultimate motivator. This thing of, of a reciprocal respect between both parents and kids. Things like love, respect, affirmation, and support. These are all things that come with honor. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 tells us this. It says, parents, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So you say, man, don't, don't, don't tear your kids down, man. Instead, what we want to do is build them up. Now, you might say, okay, yeah, but obedience is still necessary. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, uh, obedience is necessary. But the continuous maybe criticism or rebuke or discipline, and then even if it gets to the point of like abuse, it, it, it breaks the spirit. That's not our goal. Our goal is to train our children up. And so he says right here in verse four, he says, hey, dads, fathers. And we're gonna get into why he, singles out dads here and fathers. I think it's clear through all of Scripture. I think, I think the research bears it out that as the dad goes, so the family goes. Now, there, there are exceptions, and we praise God for His Holy Spirit and for the power He gives to overcome statistics. But so often, as dad goes, so goes the family. And so he says, dads, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. I remember there being a time that uh, 
I, <laughs> I, I didn't know. I just knew it was, it was addressed towards dads. I didn't know all of what this verse meant. And uh, I wrote it on a post-it and put it on my dad's mirror before he left for work in the morning. <laughs> now, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so real because I guess he had like, you know, joked about something, maybe kind of felt like he tore me down. And uh, he came home from work that day and apologized. And, and I was like, man, I thought I was trying to encourage my dad. He goes, no, 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 I was, I was not doing things the right way. Um, that's the Holy Spirit, man. It's awesome. <laughs> but he says, don't provoke. To provoke means to, means to stimulate, to incite. It's, it's to deliberately make annoyed or angry. Again, it's like this fear type thing. It's this thing that kind of pushes to make something happen. Look, uh, most adults don't enjoy sarcasm to get things done, right? Kids don't either. Kids don't either, right? Uh, you know, when I was learning in this parenting class that I took, it's like, hey, one of the best motivators for your kids is to say things in the positive and not in the negative. It, it just works better right? People respond to it. Just like you respond at work better than that, you know, instead of just the sarcasm of like, hey, yay, the trash is getting pretty full. You think you're going to empty that anytime soon? You know, it'd be a lot easier if you just say, hey, would you mind taking out the trash? Right? Isn't it totally different? Now, you might get the same result you do, and you're like, look, I just want the trash out, but there's better ways to do it. And so he says to dad, don't provoke your kids, he says, that's not what we're aiming for here is to provoke our kids. He says, instead, what we want to do is we want to bring them up. To bring them up or to bring them along or to lead them. This training, it's teaching through instruction and in practice. And it's done over time and it's done with an aim in mind. That's teaching. And so he says that we would teach them, that they would bring them up, that we would admonish them. That speaks of warning, even a firm reprimand, but we would urge them and we would point them to the things that they're to avoid. And he says that we're to train them, we're to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Not of just anything, not just train them for the sake of being good people. He's saying what we got to train them to do is we got to train them to know Jesus. If you like reading, there's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And the guy talks about this. He says the aim, parents, is not just in changing behavior. The aim is getting to their heart and teaching them to love Jesus and to walk with Jesus. Their relationship with Jesus parents is supreme. It's the most important thing in the world. Do you know why? Because it lasts for eternity. Now, I'm not down on other things. I'm not down on sports. I'm not down on extracurriculars. I'm not down on careers and on college and all those things. But their relationship with Jesus lasts all the way through eternity. A career might last 30 or 40 years, right? There, there's a, uh, something that Jesus says that always rings in my mind where he says, hey, what profit is it to a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? You see, guys, what we're doing as parents is eternal. What we're shaping the next generation. And so we want to teach our kids Jesus, that he loves us, that he died for our sins, that he has a plan for them. 
Jesus has set out, the word of God bears it out, it is a high calling to raise children. I want to talk real quickly about just where we are as a society and what our kids are up against. Uh, so, so often we got to know exactly where we're fighting and what we're fighting. We, we know that we're fighting with godliness, with holiness, with a relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to equip them. But why? What are they up against right now? I, I just want to look at three things that our kids are up against in this day and age. The first is, is a technology overload that they're up against. Uh, second would be a, a, an increasingly anti-Jesus education system. Again, there's exceptions, and I think we live in a phenomenal area. I think that our school district here is doing wonderful things. But by and large, and again, coming from L.A. County just about a year ago, I, I, I began to see things that I was going, wow, this is big. Last and third, I, I want to talk about what our kids are up against in how easily accessible pornography is now with the average age of exposure being down to 8 to 11 years old. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? As we look at technology overload, I'm going to give you a few statistics. I, I, I've been trying my hardest to get all these stats down to just a few because I, I, I don't know, I love research. I love statistics. I'm going to talk about what things looked like in the year 2000 to 2010, that's some pretty solid data. There are some things that I could give an even up-to-date 2016 number on. But emails, in the year 2000, there were 12 billion emails sent a day. In 2010, it was up to 247 billion. So that's an increase of about 200 million plus. Billion, sorry. Text messages in a day. In the year 2000, 400,000. In 2010, 4.5 billion. In 2016, there are 18.7 billion text messages sent a day. Twitter, and some of you kind of, I don't know what that means. It's this little uh, app. Uh, it's both online and on phones where you could um, just say what's on your mind to everybody, right? You just, you just yell it out. You know, that's what Twitter kind of is. And you tell them anything, but you have 140 characters to do it, okay? So 140 spaces, 140 letters or characters, whatever you want to put. Uh, in 2000, there was no Twitter. In 2016, there are 500 million tweets a day, which goes to start showing things. And, and with Twitter, you follow certain people, you follow certain things, and people speak their mind in 140 characters, News media tweets out 140 characters to try to get you to click on their story. Uh, celebrities use their 140 characters to tell you what they think about life. And the really sad thing is that many young people are following people that mom and dad maybe don't want them talking to, who don't agree with what they're saying, and they're tweeting about 500 million times a day. YouTube, this is incredible. Zero YouTube in 2000. In 2010... 35 hours of content is uploaded to YouTube every minute. So because of all the different people who are uploading content, every minute, 35 hours was going onto YouTube. In 2016, 3 
hundred hours of content are uploaded every minute. So that means that about five billion videos are being watched a day. Incredible. Okay, one last one, Wikipedia. We, we all use Wikipedia, right, to find out stuff. Uh, there was no Wikipedia in 2000. In 2010, there were 19 million articles on Wikipedia. 19 million articles would take a person 118,750 days to read or 325 years. It's doubled since 2010. There are now 40 million articles there. So most teens are consuming about 35, 34 gigs of data a day. A, a gigabyte of data, like maybe a movie, a feature film, would be somewhere like three to four gigs if it's in HD. But in just songs, that would be somewhere uh, about 8,000 songs a day just all the different media that's getting into a kid, all the, all the information that's coming into to young people is somewhere around 34 gigs a day. The effects of too much data on the brain, there is a bit, but, but some think there's a brain restructuring that happens with technology overload. That too much screen usage seems to result in the gray matter of your brain shrinking and then problems with the white matter's ability to communicate. The white matter in your brain is the stuff that sends all the information across. It says that, that it also creates more cravings and general, generally poor cognitive performance. There's also a difficulty in processing emotions with this stuff. A lack of frequent face-to-face interaction. So something in favor of Facebook and other stimulated emotional connections may actually impact your ability to process emotions properly. I've spoken to a few teachers who have taught for about 30 years and they say they have seen a general lack in critical thinking since TVs went into children's bedrooms. Because the TV does our thinking for us, you see. And so there's some difficult things that are happening when it comes to technology overload. And that's what our kids are up against right now. Also, there's some things that are going on in our schools that are increasingly anti-Jesus. And I say anti-Jesus on purpose. And I'm not an alarmist. I'm not a fear monger. I'm not trying to just say, but I think it, if you read the Bible, we just studied Revelation, we know what begins to happen to the people of God. And we're seeing it happen now. But the way evolution is taught, the the way science has been built to push against uh, creation, the creation account. And you could study creation all day long and see the incredible design in it. And that's a whole other study for another time. There's a minimizing of Christian liberty. Look, I I used to teach Christian club at at different uh, schools when I lived down in Santa Fe Springs. And there was a principal in Santa Fe Springs that said, I want that Christian club gone. And he just told us face to face. He says, I want it out of here. Legally, I can't make it go away, but I want it gone. And so we prayed and we, you know, we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And thankfully the guy got got some kind of Uh, you know, he got promoted to go somewhere else. (laughs) Thank the Lord for that. But he he said, 
as soon as the other, as soon as the chess club goes away, there will be no clubs on this campus because I don't want that one. There, there is a promotion in in the LGBT ideas within our schools now. And and you know what? And I and I don't want to get to a place where we're saying, so go get cri-. no no no. It's sin just like any other. But I remember back in 2008 when we were voting on Prop 8 to protect marriage uh, between a man and a woman, I said, you know, to me, it, the marriage isn't even a big deal. I don't, if they're sinners, I don't expect them to behave like Christians. They, they can get married. I said, my fear is what it's going to do to education. And we've seen it. That, that now as young as kindergarten, and I was told by someone who just got back from a conference, they said that in four years to five years, kindergartners are, are going to need to be taught on, on transgender. And to be told, hey, you want to be a boy today? Be a boy. You want to be a girl today? Be a girl. That's totally normal. And I understand. I mean, my kid thinks he's a Pokemon some days. You know, so I, I get it that kids feel this way, but... But, but we have an increasingly anti-Jesus school system. And, and so, again, what do we do about all that? We're going to get to that. But some of the, the harder things I want to talk about today have to do with the easily accessible pornography we have today that is dangerous for kids. It's dangerous for adults, Right? There is some good things to it. Some of these stats are, are neat to hear. They, they talk about kids who have accessed pornography, uh, pornography viewing for more than 30 minutes at a time, which, again, it is so easily accessible. When ki- if, if kids have an email address, chances are they're getting spam emails. But the, 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 the stats are kind of in a curve. There's like, how many times have you done this? Either never once or up to 10 times. Uh, the never ones is high in boys. 30% uh, of these young ones have not seen pornography. Uh, to s- those who have only seen it once is down at like 6%. But then up to 10 times, it goes back up to like 30%. So usually it's not a one-time deal. And most of these kids aren't looking for it. It finds them in the form of pop-ups and other things. Now, some, a lot of this data isn't even just Christian data anymore. It's not just Christian research, re- researchers. It, it's other people, even the Huffington Post, <laughs> which is certainly not Christian, uh, tells us the dangers of pornography. So some of the things that happen, the problem that it causes, uh, some are, are saying that, that they've seen uh, pornography Again, very early, most of them before puberty. But it's contributing to a hyper-sexualization of teens. It's, it's contributing to a low self-esteem and eating disorders. And it's an increase in problematic sexual activity for young ages. An increased desire in risky sexual behavior of adolescents. Uh, pornography oftentimes serves as sex education and it shapes sexual templates. It, it, it is taught to treat women as objects 
It teaches that girls are to be used and boys are to be the users. It normalizes violence and abuse of women and children. Uh, it treats women, again, as objects. It equates, um, uh, excuse me, it depicts rape, rape at, at times as though it were not harmless. It, it creates a difficulty in maintaining intimate relationships. It has major effects on the brain and, and it contributes to problematic sexual behaviors. And to know that usually by the age of 17, about 45% of kids are sexually active by the age of 17. And so the Huffington Post says this, it says, with an average age of first exposure to pornography being around 8 to 11 years old, kids are simply unprepared to distinguish the message they encounter with pornography and without knowledge and under, of, or understanding of what a respectful Mutually agreeable, intimate relationship is pornography becomes the major source for youth to learn about sex. I, I was reading uh, about a guy who started um, a pornography magazine back in England, and he's totally not a Christian, and he says, uh, I don't know exactly what we've created, but it's a monster. He says something that we started a long time ago, we have no way of controlling anymore because now it's so accessible. And I, and I just want to say this to parents, um, to, to put something like a, like a smartphone in your child's hand is so dangerous. A lot of adults can't control themselves with a smartphone, but you've given them an open window into everything with a smartphone, especially when there's no data limits or they have Wi-Fi. You know, they say it's a problem to just have a, let, let a kid have a, a computer in his room or her room. It's very dangerous. Focus on the family says, uh, no healthy parent wants to think about his child viewing pornography, but it often happens. And some researchers have stated that the average age of exposure is down to eight years old. Before the days of the internet, children were typically between the ages of 11 to 13 when they began viewing pornography found in magazines. And so there's a lot of danger out there. And so that's where we are with our kids. To say it's an uphill battle, I think, would be an understatement, right? And so where do we want to be with this? Because you might be here today and you're going, this is what I got. I fought through snow to get here, and this is why? I, I want to tell you, though, there's hope. Because I'll, I'll say it again later, but, but I'm telling you, we have something as God's people that this world cannot rival, and it's the power of the Spirit of God. That's what we have, right? The, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what we have because there can be a, 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 a mindset in some of us to say, well, then forget the whole thing. Many people, many, we're, we as a country are increasingly having less and less children and many Christians are saying, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to put them through this. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think the answer, I've never seen it through the scripture where God says, just give up. Just hold on and I'll be there soon. Seldom have I seen anything like that. You, uh, any, is there any football people in here who watches football? One of the things I hate about football is when, is when the team is like ahead at the end, they, they kneel the ball down to end the game. I don't like that. I don't care if you're up by 80 points. This is why I love Alabama football because Nick Saban will run that score, man. You just keep throwing it for the end zone. You just keep playing offense. You keep running hard towards the goal. 
I don't think God kneels down the ball in the fourth quarter. I don't think he does. Because God can say, hey, we win anyway. We just studied Revelation, right? We win. We know we win. So do we just kneel the ball down? Absolutely not. I think we push. That's what I think. I think the best defense here is a good offense that we want to charge for the kingdom of God. And we want to teach our kids to charge for the kingdom of God. We want to lead the charge, pushing against this culture. I believe that with all my heart. I I believe that we're having family so that we can go and be missionaries because I'm going to tell you, we are not the only people who could be afraid of what's happening in our culture. I think there's many others that are afraid. I think there's many others that are looking for the answers. And what are those answers? Well, the answer is always Jesus. And I think that when we do family right, when we do family the right way, I think people on the soccer field see it. People on the baseball field see it. People at the, at the PTA meetings see it. You know, people, all these places, they see it. They see that we're different. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you could just note it, but we see the difference between the love of a mother and the love of a father and how good it is for a child to have both of those, right? That, that the love of the mother, it's that, it's that soft, that tender, right? Caring. You know, it's like when you scrape your knee, you go, Dad, you know, and he's like, oh, come on, get out of here. And Mom, no, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. You know? And the love of the father that would charge a child and say, no, come on, go. Come on, go do it. And you need this balance. It's so healthy for us. Turn to Psalm 127. I want to read this to us real quick as we, as we look at family. talks about first how important it is that Jesus be the focus, that God be the focus. Psalm 127. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It's vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. One thing I love about arrows, and I'll just say this about that text. Of course, it's all for the Lord. Unless God's leading it, guys, we're going to be laboring in vain. But one of the things I love about an arrow is it goes further than the one shooting it, yeah? And so I love how he pictures our children as arrows, that, that we can send our kids to go do things that we ourselves maybe couldn't. And I think we all understand that we want to give our kids a good education. We want to have them have it better than we had it. But especially in the area of godliness, we want to see that happen. And so what are some things that we would encourage ourselves in today as parents? We want to love our kids. And I know that should sound normal, but I'm finding more and more especially doing student ministry for eight years, 10 years doing student ministry from fifth grade all the way to 12th grade, finding that many of the kids in my youth group did not hear regularly that their parents loved them. 
many kids wondering, do mom and dad really love me? Are you kidding? Of course they love you, I would tell them. And they'd say, but I hear you tell me you love me more than my parents. Parents, we need to be telling our kids how much they're loved. We need to show them our love. They don't understand when they're young that you going to work is showing love to them. They don't understand that yet. They will when they're 18, but they don't yet. And so they need to be told their love. We need to feed them the truth. We, we need to tend to them. We need to lead them. We need to model for them what it means to follow Jesus. I'll tell you right now that, that so much of my testimony of me wanting to become a Christian is because I watched my dad. That's why. I saw the life that he lived and I saw the life that my friend's dad's lived and I said, I'll take that one. Right? Having many of my friends from my baseball team say, I would trade you parents in a second. I hate mine. I'll take yours. But do you know, it's, it's that they modeled truth for us. They, they modeled what godliness looks like. One of the things that needs to happen as parents, as we talked about with those statistics on pornography, that so much of what's happening in this culture is, is pornography is doing the sexual education for our kids that parents ought to be doing. And so as we love our kids, as we feed our kids the truth, as we model godliness, we also need to be the teachers of relationships and sexuality for our kids. We need to teach them what God thinks. It used to be, probably back in the 90s, that if you didn't reach a kid by the age of 18, you probably weren't going to reach that kid for Jesus. George Barna from Barna Research says he's convinced that the spiritual war occurring in individual lives is pretty much won or lost by the age of 13 now. Parents don't have complete control in shaping their child's lives, but they do have a substantial influence on who the child becomes. And, and when I'm reading stats about children and about family, about the amount of kids that are looking for information on sexuality. Again, we said that 45% of, of teens are sexually active by 17, but most of these teens regard their parents as the role model and the source of information that they would talk to their parents about it if their parents would talk to them about it. Very, very important. And so as parents, we want to reach our kids. We have much influence on them. Maybe not a lot of control, but we have much influence as parents. Studies show that parents have more influence on their child than churches and schools do. I want to share this to fathers. Many studies say that fathers are the key to their children's faith. There's a study that talks about if mom and dad are regular church attenders, what happens when mom stays regular and dad is irregular or dad is even a non-practicing 
And then what happens when those roles are switched? If both father and mother attend church regularly, 33% of children will end up regular churchgoers and 41 will end up irregular but still attending. Only 25% will end up not practicing at all. But if the father is irregular and the mother is still regular, it goes down from 33% regular down to 3% regular churchgoers. So dad has a big influence. And if the father is non-practicing, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers. What is extraordinary about this? Dads, listen up. What's extraordinary about this is that if those roles are switched, if mom is the one who is irregular or non-practicing, it barely changes the stats. That if dad, so in short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful the wife's devotion, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If the father goes regularly, regardless of the practice of mom, between two-thirds to three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers. Now, again, sometimes stats, we can look at them and go, well, gee, that gives me about zero hope. We have the Holy Spirit. Guys, God does radical things, and he's still in the business of doing that. But we want to be more on the side of the rule and not the exception where possible. And so again, teaching the godly context of relationships and sexuality. We we want there to be open lines of communication with our kids. And so I need to tell you this. You need to, if you're a parent, start now talking to your kids about these kind of things. Where there is no question that is off base or shameful. Some of the greatest discipleship in my life happened when me and my dad would ride places alone, starting as, as far back as I could remember, where he'd say, hey, you got any questions about anything? Like, about what? <laughs> and sometimes he would lead me into that conversation. So I think I had a little bit of a, of a leg up in this. As, as kids at school would talk about things going, no, no, that's not how it works. That's not what it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. No, no, my dad already taught me that. So it needs to start young, needs to start now. There needs to be no shame that when a, if a kid were to come and ask a question, you know, sadly, some of our, um, some people can kind of like gasp when your kids ask a question. I learned this in student ministry. You, you can't be surprised Because if you are, they just won't come back and ask you. If they feel shamed because they asked an honest question, they won't ask you again. They'll find someone else to ask. Or they'll go Google it. But it needs to start now, and I'm telling you, uh, equipped kids, our kids who are equipped, will be missionaries to this community and all throughout the world. And again, we have one thing to combat this that the world does not have. We can't compete with the world's technology. We can't compete with their production. You know, we didn't even talk about really the apps that kids can use now too. Parents, I will say this. You got to monitor your kids' cell phones. You got to. And most parents stop monitoring their kids' cell phone and computer habits when they get into high school. That's the worst time to pull away. Right? I learned a lot in student ministry. The kids would tell me things they didn't want to tell their parents and I'd say, you got to go tell your parents about that. But, you know, these apps where you can send picture messages that disappear in seconds, dangerous. 
I've done hospital visits for young girls who, who sent pictures of themselves without clothes on to boys at school, and those boys sent those pictures around the school. And the reason there was a hospital visit is because they tried to commit suicide after when they found out. It's serious stuff, guys. And boys, are, boys especially young boys, there's a, there's a certain amount of bravery that comes when you're behind a keyboard that asks for certain pictures. And guys, this is what our young ladies are up against. And so we have to be very deliberate in the way we do this. But again, for what we don't have in production value and in a budget and in that kind of stuff, we have in the Spirit of God. That God will give us the strength to stand. And so be involved in your kids' lives. Love them. Feed them the word of God. Live a consistent example for them. Don't, don't be the reason that your kids would go, mom and dad barely do. I, I had a young lady one time in my youth group. It's like, you tell me not to cuss. My mom tells me not to cuss. She cusses more than anyone I know. And then she sends me here and pretends not to. Parents, we got to do a good job on this. And so I want to share just real quickly what we as a church are doing in the light of all this stuff. The first thing that we're doing, I mentioned earlier, we're going to be switching our kids' ministry curriculum. We're switching to something called Answers in Genesis. And um, the, the curriculum we've had in the past is a great curriculum. It totally connects with the kids. But we're finding that we want to get a little deeper theologically. Um, so often the kids, they come to church and it kind of feels at times, not every time, and we have great children's ministry teachers here, but by and large in the church as a whole, sometimes kids come to church learning what seems to be a little more like a fairy tale and they don't get the theological meat that they need. And so we want to go deeper now because when they get to school, usually by second or third grade, kids have to make a decision on whether they believe what the Bible says or whether they believe what their teacher says. It's just the the way it is. And so when they have to make that choice, if they don't have a very secure foundation to stand on, most of the time they'll take what the teacher says because the teacher is the professional. And so what we're going to give is something a little more practical. And the Answers in Genesis curriculum, it speaks first to just that the Word of God can be trusted, that God knows more than we do, and and it's going to also give the backing for why we could trust the Scriptures. And then how that even relates to science. And I'm telling you, the more studying I do with science, the more, more I'm convinced that God designed it all. Take everything you find. There's design. And so this is going to help really do that. And so one of the things that we would like for you to do in this, whether you're a parent of a kid in children's ministry or not, is number one, be praying for our children's ministry. Be praying for Bill and Kathy who lead our children's ministry. Be praying for our teachers who will teach this to our kids. And pray for our kids to take it in. And also pray for the parents of our if you've already gone through this, had, had young ones, right? They're already grown and out of the house. Man, pray for those of us who are still in the midst of the fight. Even though we probably only have a max of two and a half hours a week with these kids, we want to be able to stand before God on that day 
and say, God, as a church, we, put, we did everything we could to give these kids what they needed. Look, we're a Calvary Chapel church. We study the word, don't we? We want our kids to be studiers of the word. And so there might be a little less in the way of games in our classrooms. But we've prayerfully considered it and we really believe this is, this is the way to go right now. And if God changes that, then, then we're totally open to him changing that. But for now, we really, as we have sought the Lord, feel like this is the best direction to go with our children's ministry curriculum. And so parents, be on the lookout that next week when you pick up your kids for class, there'll be a, a, like not a homework assignment, but something that you can interact with, with your kids. Talk about not only what they're learning. Here's what I found from this curriculum, that, um, that the parents do just as much learning as the kids once they take this stuff home. Going, what? I didn't, I didn't know that was like the basis for the word of God. Oh, that's awesome, you know? And all of a sudden, kids are learning together with parents. It's phenomenal. One of the other things we're doing as a church starting in January, and we've announced it for a few weeks now, is we're going to be teaching a class on parenting. Again, with, uh, with as, poor, as important as we, as we see this. This class on parenting, it's all from the Bible. I came away, being trained in this class, I came away with more of a trust in the word of God after I took this class. Because they say this, as, as teachers of this, of this curriculum, they say, just do what it says. Don't say anything else. Just what the script says. Just do what this, it's all from the word of God, right? That God's like, whether you understand it or you don't, do it. <laughs> and so we're gonna be teaching this class. And man, just like the first chapter alone, talks about how important it is to tell your kids they love, that you love them, to set up healthy boundaries for them, rules in the house, to stick to those rules consistently, and when the rules are broken, to administer discipline appropriately for that, and then to just keep being a good example. It's going to be an awesome class, and so again, if you know people that would need it, but one thing I would ask is pray for Ann Lynch and pray for me, because we'll be teaching it, and, and, we're, and we're opening it up, not just to our church, but to the community that if there's people that need to come, and we really believe this is going to be an outreach into our community because there's a lot of parents, Christian and not, that are going, we don't know how to do parenting. It's one of the hardest things to do. And so we believe people are gonna come. And so be praying for us as we teach. Pray for those who will be doing childcare, ministering to these kids while they're in the class. And then pray for the parents who are gonna come to the class. Last, I just want to ask as we close up. In the light of all these things, I want everyone, all of us, to ask, God, what have you called me to do in this? Some of us are, are, are young parents, and so we know a lot of what God's called us to do is to keep parenting our kids. But again, maybe maybe you're you're done having kids. Maybe you're through that season of life. I'd ask you to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? I I really believe, I was telling my dad last night, I think this is a hill worthy to die on. You know? You know, you say, you know, you pick your battles. It's like, hey, don't die on that hill, man. You don't need to die on that one. I think this one's worth it. We as a church think it's worth it. And so whatever your availability is on Tuesday nights, I'd ask you to pray. I'd ask you to consider praying about helping out with childcare for this 
so that parents can come and know that their kids are taken care of so that they could be uh, equipped as parents. One thing I would ask also, or another thing I would ask, sorry, I'm asking a lot. I should stop saying one thing, huh? I ask a lot. But the Bible says you have not. Why? Because you ask not. So I'll ask. I'd ask you to prayerfully consider pouring into kids in this church. If there was something worth investing your time in, it's the next generation. We, we have, you know, a little bit of criteria for those who would serve in children's ministry. We want you to know Jesus. We want to know that you've gone to this church at least six months just to make sure we know that Zeke's your pastor. Usually six months, uh, really, he'll offend you in six months. And if you could stick through that, we know it's your church. Just kidding, just kidding. No, no, we, we just say six months because we just want to make sure that you feel comfortable here, that this is your church. After that, because of how much we care about our kids, we do background checks and fingerprinting because we love our kids, Right? But if you're interested in, in pouring your life, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to go sign up today. I don't want any emotional sign-ups. I, I, want, I want you to pray and say, God, have you called me to invest in the next generation? What have you called me to do with this? And I understand. I, I understand we're all busy. We're all busy, you know. We do children's ministry here on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights. And the stuff we do is eternal. I want to encourage you to pray and say, God, what's my part? Maybe you've been just kind of kicking back, sitting around going, well, you know, you know, I kind of already served a lot. You know, I, I see faces in here, man, that it's like, I've served God for 20 years, man. I want to just kind of just relax a little bit. And that's cool. And I don't want to be like, you know, but I'd ask you to pray. I'd ask you to pray about what God would have you do for this generation. Lord, we thank you so much that you are in control. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your spirit and give us power in these days. Lord, we want to see you raise up an army of people who love you. And so I pray for parents right now, Lord, that you would, that you would, you know, you say a bruised reed, you don't break. And a smoking flax, you don't quench. Instead, Lord, you bind up our wounds and you heal us and you raise us up. Lord, I pray for those who are discouraged that today you would encourage them and, and raise them up. Lord, for all parents, that you would give them strength to keep walking with you seeking you, loving you. Lord, for all of us, show us what our role is in this. What would you have us do, God? What would you have us do? Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.